If you have your copy of the Scriptures, let me encourage you to turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12, is where we will start our reading. We'll be focusing primarily this morning on verses 17 through the beginning of chapter 4, but we'll also be looking at, or I'll be at least making reference to, a number of other Scripture passages outside Philippians, you can feel free to, to follow along with those, or you can just, just listen, but you will, you will find it advantageous to have at least Philippians 3 there in front of you, either in your own copy of the Scriptures, the Pew Bible, or the bulletin where the Scripture passage is printed for you. If we're honest with ourselves, I think many of us have something of a, dare I say, love-hate relationship with the idea of athletes and celebrities as advocates and activists. I say love-hate because we like it when people with a lot of public attention advocate for things that we think should be advocated for. But we're not so enthusiastic about it, to say the least, when they advocate for things that we don't think should be advocated for, right? So we have, we walk this tightrope, we feel this tension, but nevertheless, athletes and celebrities command a great deal of attention, if nothing else, in our society. And that has only increased over the years. When I was growing up, I'm going to date myself here, but when I was growing up, the athlete that commanded the most attention in terms of endorsements had to be by far Michael Jordan. And back in the early 90s, 1990s, Gatorade ran a campaign. I'll spare you the tune, even though it's ringing in my head. Like Mike, if I could be like Mike. I want to be, I want to be like Mike. Because they wanted you to drink Gatorade. Because that's what Mike drank. Nike wanted you to wear his shoes. Well, around that same time, another basketball player, the round mound of rebound, Charles Barkley, just rejected the notion that he was any kind of role model, any kind of person that anyone would look up to. And we can feel that tension between what is and what ought to be. But the reality is, wherever anyone looks for examples, and whether we do it consciously or unconsciously, we all look to other individuals and the example that they provide. Sometimes the example that we should avoid but especially the example that they provide for us as the way in which we should live some aspect of our lives. And as we approach the end of Philippians 3, Paul is 
calling to the Philippians' attention their need for examples to follow. And he tells them what or who their examples should be, but he also warns them about what kind of examples they should avoid. And I think just as the Apostle Paul directed the Philippians' attention to the kind of examples that they should avoid and adopt, so also his pen, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, also instructs us similarly. And so we want to heed Paul's warning to choose our examples wisely. Follow along as I read Philippians 3, beginning in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already made perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus." Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ." Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. As we consider this appeal by the Apostle Paul to choose your examples wisely, there are three things for us to observe. First, stepping for a bit outside of just this passage of Scripture, I want us to see the idea of examples in the Bible or examples in Scripture. And then, coming back specifically to the end of Philippians 3, I want us to see that there are examples to reject. Examples to reject. But there are also, by God's grace, examples to follow. And I want us to think about what the Apostle Paul says about those examples that we are to reject and the ones that we are to follow. But before we consider those examples, I want us to see that what Paul does here is not foreign to the Bible. It can, as we read, strike us as a bit audacious that Paul would say, follow me. I'm setting for you an example and others as well, and you should follow their example. But what Paul is doing here is not unique to this part of Scripture. Here's what I mean. Chief among the examples that the Scriptures give for us are the, is the example of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. He is the first and supreme example that we are to follow. We see this on the lips of Jesus Himself. What did He tell His disciples? 
if anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross, deny himself, and follow me. This was just after Jesus had told his disciples that he would be crucified that He would be buried, that He would be raised from the dead. And He is saying to His disciples that His followers must follow in His steps. Later, in Matthew 20, when those two brothers, James and John and their mother, are advocating for seats of supremacy, Jesus is saying, hang on! This is not how it is in My kingdom. Instead, My kingdom is one marked by service because the Son of Man has come not to serve, or excuse me, not to be served, but to serve. And the implication is that His followers are to do the same. To follow His example. In 1 Peter 2, Peter writes about Jesus as an example in His sacrifice for us. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. And then he goes on to describe the example that Jesus gave in not reviling when He was reviled, but entrusting Himself to His heavenly Father. And in this way, we are also to follow the example of Christ. Perhaps this afternoon you want to read 1 Peter 2, 21-25 in its fullest and see how Christ is an example for us. But we need to pause for a moment at this point and make abundantly clear that as the Scriptures identify Jesus as an example that we are to follow, Friends, Jesus is not merely an example. He is not only an example. He is not exclusively an example. He is more than an example. He is the Savior. He is the Lord of all. And we can only follow His example as we recognize that He is Lord and Savior and we entrust ourselves to Him both for now and for eternity. And part of trusting Jesus is following Him. And as the 19th century book captured it, follow in His steps. Follow the example that He has given to us. But, the Scriptures also tell us that Though Jesus is our supreme example, Jesus is not the only example that we are given in Scripture. He is not the only one who sets before us the way in which we ought to live our lives. The Apostle Paul repeatedly identifies himself as an example. He has, has he not already, in Philippians 2, presented Jesus as an example to follow for the Philippians. But here in our passage for this morning, he identifies himself as an example that the Philippians are to imitate. He's going to come back to this idea again in chapter 4, verse 9. What you have learned 
and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things. Again, Paul as an example. But not just in the book of Philippians. In Acts 20, when Paul is with the Ephesian elders on his way to Jerusalem where he will be imprisoned and he anticipates that this is the last time that he will see these church leaders, what does he say to them? You can read more of his speech to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, and I encourage you to do that this afternoon. But picking up in the middle of it, he says, And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all these things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the word of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul says that he had, when he was with them, put forth for them an example of how they are to labor and to serve for the sake of the people of God. And his expectation was that the Ephesian elders would follow his example. 1 Corinthians 4, perhaps... Today or later this week, you want to read verses 14 through 17. I'm just going to read verses 16 and 17. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ. So he's telling them to imitate him. And he's saying this is why he has sent his protege Timothy to them to remind them of Paul's ways. But did you notice how he qualified his example and his ways? To remind you of my ways in Christ. And back when he was talking to the Ephesian elders, whose words did he remind them of? Not only his own and his example, but he also reminded them of the words of Christ. Similarly, in 1 Corinthians 10, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians 11:1, he writes, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So what is Paul doing here? He's saying that yes, he is an example that is to be followed. He is not claiming perfection. He would not be he would not claim to be perfect in all his ways, but he would say that he is striving insofar as he is able to put before these believers an example of life that they are to follow. But his example is only satisfactory, helpful, insofar as it points to Christ. Insofar as Paul relies on Christ so that he can say, follow me as I strive to imitate Christ. He also tells Timothy, note down, 2 Thessalonians 3, 6-9, through he, has said, he writes similar things to the church at Thessalonica. 
2 Timothy 1, he tells Timothy to follow the pattern of words that he had given to Timothy. In 2 Timothy 2, he tells Timothy to pass on what he had received from Paul. So not only in Paul's life is he an example that should be imitated, but also in his teaching he is an example that should be heard and replicated. Not parroted, but adopted and applied in life. In his living, in his teaching, Paul strove to be an example for the believers as he followed Christ. But it's not just Christ. It's not just Paul. Paul writes that pastors and church leaders are also to be examples to the flock under their care. For example, to that young protege Timothy, he writes, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Put before them, Timothy, an example of how they are to live their lives. He also tells Timothy to guard his teaching and to guard his way of life. Timothy is to be an example. Here in Philippians 3, Paul points not only to himself as example, brothers join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. There are others who who are to be examples. Some of these, of course, would have been Timothy and Epaphroditus, who he had referred to in chapter 2. The writer to the book of Hebrews calls the recipients of that letter to remember their leaders, most likely those who had passed in faith from this life, and to remember the example, especially the example of their faith that had been set before them. First Peter 5, Peter also appeals to the elders of the churches to which he writes, He speaks of Christ, the sufferings of Christ. And he says, don't be those who domineer over those in your charge. Instead, be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. These church leaders were to be examples for the church to follow. Jesus is our chief example. Paul provides an example for us. Leaders in the church are to be examples as they follow Christ. Think about Hebrews 11 and that hall of faith of Old Testament saints who are presented there as an example who by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith were waiting what they did not yet receive. Friends, Scripture is filled with this idea that there are examples that we are to follow first and foremost i just can't say it enough first and foremost christ and then those who would be before us in our view as helping us showing us what it is to follow the example of christ And so, as the Apostle Paul writes here in Philippians 3, 
he's drawing on this rich biblical idea of having examples that we look to. But as he writes about examples for them to look to, he cautions them. There are some examples out there that should be rejected. Notice how the text divides up. In verse 17, Paul talks about himself and others as being examples. And then in verses 18 and 19, he sets his attention on counterexamples, if you will. Those who in one way or another live contrary to the way a believer should live his or her life. And then he comes back more fully in verses 20 and 21, and I think provides more of a picture of the example or some characteristics of the examples that we are to look to. And this is how I want us to break up briefly our division of this passage. We're going to look first at verses 18 and 19 and the examples of that we are to reject, the examples that we are to reject. How does he describe these examples? Well, first, he puts it plainly in the middle of verse 18. They are enemies of the cross. Anyone who is an enemy of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are to reject as an example to follow. Now, how is a person an enemy of the cross of Christ. I think at least two broad ways with some different variations under each. A person can be an enemy of the cross of Christ doctrinally, theologically, in their teaching about the cross of Christ. And this can show up in a few different ways. One way it shows up as it seems to have been potentially, if not directly, affecting the Philippians, is those who would say, Christ is not enough. Christ is important, but you need Christ plus these other duties in order to be accepted by God. That seems to be what Paul is getting at at the beginning of chapter 3. You could go back and and read that yourself. Those who would say Christ's sacrifice is not enough to save you from the wrath to come are living as enemies of the cross of Christ and are examples to be rejected. But it is not just those who say that Jesus is not enough. It would be also those who say that Jesus is not the only way. The Lord Jesus Himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by Me. Anyone who would say that Jesus is merely one way among many, all reaching the same destination, are living and teaching as enemies of the cross of Christ. Because it is only the tracks that the Lord Jesus Christ has laid by His death and resurrection that provide the train that will lead us to eternity with the Lord Jesus. All other trains, all other tracks lead to another destination, lead to another end. And anyone who would say otherwise 
is teaching as an enemy of the cross of Christ. But also, those who would say that Jesus' death was enough, nothing more is needed, but it will be applied to everyone. And in the end, everyone will be saved. Friends, that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what the Lord Jesus Christ Himself taught. The One who taught more than anyone else about the reality of eternal punishment. Those who would say that Jesus is merely one way among many options are teaching as enemies of the cross of Christ. Those who would say that Jesus' death was not in any way substitutionary, that is, punishment in our place, but merely an example of the love of God, are teaching as enemies of the cross of Christ. Christ's example is only truly an example of love if in His death He was accomplishing something. And that something has been accomplished as evidenced by His resurrection from the dead. By His resurrection, the Father says, I have accepted His death in the place of those who will look to Him by faith. Friends, anyone who teaches in these contrary ways teaches and lives as an enemy of the cross of Christ whose example is to be rejected. But it is not just those who teach in these contrary ways that are living as enemies of the cross of Christ, but we can also live morally or ethically as enemies of the cross of Christ. What do I mean by that? At least two ways. Live however you want. Keep on sinning that grace may abound. What was the Apostle Paul's appeal to that? What was his response to that notion? Well, let's just keep on sinning so that grace may abound more and more. May it never be. By no means. That is not how the people of Christ are to live their lives. And anyone who would say, just live however you want, as long as you prayed the prayer, you're good. Go on living however you want to. It does not matter. Friends, they are living, they are teaching as enemies of the cross of Christ. Those who would say, in an overlapping way, that the life of the Christian really need not be marked by self-sacrifice, love for others, concern for others, especially the, the church and the people of God. It doesn't matter. Enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul has made that plain as he has appealed to the example of Christ in this letter. That we, as followers of Christ, are to follow His example of self-sacrifice. And we have talked about that before. How else, though, do, are we given examples to reject? Not only these who would teach and live as enemies of the cross, but those who are self-serving are examples to be rejected. What does Paul say there in verse 19? Their God is their belly. It's possible that Paul could be referring to gluttony. 
and the sin of gluttony and overindulgence. But it seems more likely that what he is doing is he is using this word that can mean the stomach, but it can also refer to appetites, desires, what we want. It seems that that's probably the emphasis that he is giving so that he is saying, avoid those who are living merely and primarily to satisfy their own desires and especially their desires that are not submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ over them. Christianity is not an anti-desiring, an anti-wanting faith. The Scriptures make it plain that God has created us to desire things. Chiefly, to desire Him. Though that desire and all the others are marred by sin. Christianity does not say, you should strive to not want anything. Instead, Christianity says that we should strive to submit our desires to the rule of Christ and that we should strive to long for the things that Jesus longs for. We should strive to want the things that God wants and that God loves. But not only should we avoid examples that are merely self-serving, we should avoid examples that delight in what should be shameful. That delight in what should be shameful. Now, it's likely that these negative examples that Paul is referring to here didn't recognize what they were rejoicing in was shameful. They thought it was good. They thought it was a good thing that should be delighted in. But according to the Word of God, whatever it was that they were glorying in was something that is to be rejected, is to be opposed. And those who, by delighting, in such things are examples that are to be rejected. Those who rejoice in what God says is shameful. Those who rejoice in what God says is sinful. And you don't need me to provide examples around us of such ways of of living life and celebrating life. They're all around us if we have eyes to see. Such examples are examples to be rejected. But he also says that we are to reject examples where their attention is set primarily or exclusively, predominantly on this life. Now, I'm going to call a timeout here real quick, and we'll get back in the game here in a moment. In case you're nervous, we're going to split this sermon into two sermons. This is just too important, and there's too much to deal with here. 
We're going to conclude here with these negative examples, and we'll come back next week to the positive examples, okay? So, I hope to see you next week. All right, game on. So, these negative examples, attention set exclusively or predominantly on this life. How does Paul describe them? Their minds are set on earthly things. Their minds are set on the things of this world only and exclusively. Perhaps you've heard, and I'm sure many of you have, of Warren Buffett's philanthropic pledge. I want to take a moment and read in his own words Buffett's pledge. In 2006, I made a commitment to gradually give all of my Berkshire Hathaway stock to philanthropic foundations. I couldn't be happier with that decision. Now, Bill and Melinda Gates and I are asking hundreds of rich Americans to pledge at least 50% of their wealth to charity, so I think it is fitting that I reiterate my intentions and explain the thinking that lies behind them. First, my pledge. More than 99% of my wealth will go to philanthropy during my lifetime or at death. Measured by dollars, this commitment is large. In a comparative sense, though, many individuals give more to others every day. Millions of people who regularly contribute to churches, schools, and other organizations thereby relinquish the use of funds that would otherwise benefit their own families. The dollars these people drop into a collection plate or give to United Way mean foregone movies, dinners out, or other personal pleasures. In contrast, my family and I will give up nothing we need or want by fulfilling this 99% pledge. Moreover, this pledge does not leave me contributing the most precious asset, which is time. Many people, including, I'm proud to say, my three children, give extensively of their time and talents to help others. Gifts of this kind often prove far more valuable than money. As a struggling child befriended and nurtured by a caring mentor receives a gift whose value far exceeds what can be bestowed by a check, my sister Doris extends significant person-to-person help daily. I've done little of this. What I can do, however, is to take a pile of Berkshire Hathaway stock certificates claim checks that when converted to cash can command far-ranging resources and commit them to benefit others who, through the luck of the draw, have received the short straws in life. To date, about 20% of my shares have been distributed, including shares given by my late wife, Susan. I will continue to annually distribute about 4% of the shares I retain. At the latest, the proceeds from all my shares will be expended for philanthropic purposes by 10 years after my estate is settled. Nothing will go to endowments. I want the money spent on current needs. This pledge will leave my lifestyle untouched and that of my children as well. They have already received significant sums for their personal use and will receive more in the future. They live comfortable and productive lives, and I will continue to live in a manner that gives me everything that I could possibly want in life. Some material things make my life more enjoyable. Many, however, would not. I have an expensive private plane, but owning a half dozen homes would be a burden. Too often, a vast collection of possessions ends up possessing its owner. The asset I most value, aside from health, is interesting, diverse, and long-standing friends. 
My wealth has come from a combination of living in America, some lucky genes, and compound interest. Both my children and I won what I call the ovarian lottery. For starters, the odds against my 1930 birth taking place in the U.S. were at least 30 to 1. My being male and white also removed huge obstacles that a majority of Americans then faced. My luck was accentuated by my living in a market system that sometimes produces distorted results, though overall it serves our country well. I've worked in an economy that rewards someone who saves the lives of others on a battlefield with a medal, rewards a great teacher with thank you notes from parents, but rewards those who can detect the mispricing of securities with sums reaching into the billions. In short, fate's distribution of long straws is wildly capricious. The reaction of my family and me to our extraordinary good fortune is not guilt, but rather gratitude. Were we to use more than 1% of my claim checks on ourselves, neither our happiness nor our well-being would be enhanced. In contrast, that remaining 99% can have a huge effect on the health and welfare of others. That reality sets an obvious course for me and my family. Keep all we can conceivably need and distribute to the rest to society for its needs. My pledge starts us down that course. Now, there's a lot of words. On the one hand, Buffett's commitment to give away 99% of his wealth is commendable. And I I don't want to be dismissive or discount that and the benefit in this life that such generosity will provide. However, did you notice in that description, even though he is looking beyond his physical life, his orientation is still this life-oriented. It is still oriented to the things of this physical world that he knows will go on after he dies. Having attention to things in this life is not just limited to the things of this life constrained to until we take our final breath, but it also extends to prioritizing even the things of this life that will continue on past our expiration in this life. And those whose priorities are given predominantly, even if not exclusively, but predominantly to the things of this life provide an example that is inadequate. That is insufficient. Buffett himself claims to be an agnostic. That he doesn't know whether or not God exists, though he was raised Presbyterian. And as commendable as his generosity is, it does not set for us an example after the pattern of Christ. An example after the pattern of Christ and those who are striving to follow Him. So, As I mentioned a moment ago, we're going to come back next week to the examples that we are to follow. But what should we do with these examples that we are to reject? How should we respond to these? Well, first, such examples should cause us to self-reflect. Where is it 
that our lives in one way or another reflect the priorities, the orientation given in these examples that are to be rejected. Friend, if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ by faith, then I have every confidence in saying that the priorities of your life are truly oriented to this life now. And as Paul directs attention to the example of Christ, Christ only becomes an example that we can follow as we look to His death and resurrection in our place. So the place where you need to begin today, if you don't know Christ by faith, is looking to Him not as an example first, but as Lord and Savior. Entrusting yourself to Him. And then trusting Him following the example that He has laid before us in sacrificing Himself for us and for others. These examples that we are to reject should cause us to consider who have been our examples in small or in large ways. And are there people that you are looking to to provide instruction on how you should live your life? Providing an example of what your priorities in life should be. And are those examples providing for you actually examples that should be rejected? They're living as enemies of the cross of Christ. So far as it seems, they are actually living and striving to serve primarily themselves. Their orientation is dominated by living their best life now. And the things of this world are what matter most. Perhaps even the only things that matter at all. And if you find in your life you have examples that meet up with those criteria, friend, reject those examples. And pursue new ones. And next week we'll talk about what positive examples should look like for us. But this list of negative examples to reject should also cause us to examine our own priorities. Because every one of us is living as an example for someone, whether we know it or not. Perhaps it's for children or grandchildren. Perhaps it's co-workers, neighbors, other friends who are looking to see how does he or she prioritize his life? What are the things that are just non-negotiables for him or for her? And are there ways in which you are tempted? Are there ways in which I am tempted to over-prioritize the things of this life? Are there ways that we are tempted 
to live primarily only for ourselves? Are there ways that in our thought life, in our approach to life, we are living as enemies of the cross of Christ? If there are, repent of those. Rest in the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And ask the Lord to help you cultivate new priorities, new commitments, so that you might be a faithful example as you strive to follow the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before You this morning, God, thank You for the example that You have given to us in Christ. The example of self-sacrifice. The example of submission and obedience to Your perfect purposes for Him. But Father, thank You chiefly for His death, burial, and resurrection in our place. Thank You, Father, that He has won the victory over sin and death. Thank You, Father, that by the power of Your Holy Spirit, we can strive, even if stumbling. And certainly we do and we will stumble in this life. But Father, thank You that Your Spirit empowers us to strive after the example that Jesus has set before us. Help us to see, Father, where it is that we have been in one way or another looking to examples that will not lead us in the way of faithfulness, but examples whose end ultimately, as Paul writes here, is destruction. And help us, Father, to see where it is in our own lives that we are tempted in these negative opposing directions. Help us to repent of these and look to Christ and strive to follow Christ and to look to Christ and other examples that show before us how we might faithfully follow Him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.